Well, what we're going to talk today about is, uh, actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, God gave me kind of this word to speak um, before he gave me the hoopah uh, word. But I thought this one kind of fell right in line with it. So I figured um, we'd just talk about this. So, you know, I think the cool thing about what we're going to learn about today is uh, something that we've all been taught. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the basic thing that you learn, whether it's Christianity or, say, uh, Judaism. Right. Uh, This is like basic Old Testament stuff. Um, And what's really great about this word is it really took on a new life for me. So uh, if you guys have your Bibles, turn to Genesis uh, verse one. I mean, uh, chapter one, 26 through 27. We're going to start out reading this one. All right. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeliness or in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it seems basic. You know, I mean, just about everybody has read that, whether it's Sunday school or, you know, if you've ever just picked up the Bible and started reading. Most people don't jump to the New Testament. They start right in Genesis. So you're going to run into that right away because that's right in the first chapter. Um, and it seems pretty straightforward uh, until you really look at what God has done. And then you realize that he's given you a, a responsibility just in those few words that he spoke. Um, and I think that's what's really cool is that's where God really started working to me. The Holy Spirit that, that you know, talks to me, that speaks to me, that uh, gives me a word. You know, it really starts to work in me, and it makes things deeper. Um, and this is what he showed me. First of all, God created a holy being when he created you. You know, you guys are all holy. Um, and he made that being for one purpose, and that's to glorify the one that created you. And I think... Uh, Back, though, to where we're at now and how we got to this point. If that was the only reason why we were created was to glorify him, how did we get to where we're at? And uh, have we forgotten the responsibility that God gave us? I, for one, had, you know. I mean, God created us to be in his image. He made us in his image. And that requires a responsibility. You know, when we go into VG's or we go into Walmart, you know, there's a reason why God made us in his image. It's to carry out what God looks like to people that we don't know. And we can either do that in a good way or we can also do that in a bad way. Um, And I think uh, for me, you know, I've did both, Uh, maybe more one than the other. Um, But I'm trying to make up for lost ground, right? So, um, you know, last week we talked about the, about the hoopah. We talked about the tallit, the prayer shell, you know, and how old tradition is still relevant now. Um, and how, you know, something that was wrote 4,000 years ago is still relevant now in the image bearer of Christ or it, of God. See, God can only be holy. He can only be perfect. He can only make perfect things. 
So how did I become what I've become if he can only make perfect things, you know? You know, God gave us this love, this choice, you know. He, he said to us, he gives us eternity. We can spend it with him or we cannot spend it with him. That's how much he loves us. He loves us enough to give us enough rope to either hang ourselves or to be blessed all the days of our lives. That's how much he loves you. And it's, it's such a big love that how can you... I mean, you can't understand it, so all you can do is ponder it or meditate on it. You can't try to figure it out. You just have to accept it. And just think about that, though. Think about how it all started with, with Adam and Eve. They were given a choice. I mean, they were given a choice in a perfect setting. You know, I think we get, we're in a choice, and is this what I would call a perfect setting? You know, the world that we live in. I don't necessarily think it's a perfect setting. But it's the setting that we're in. And Adam and Eve made this choice. And now look what what we have around us now. So we start uh, needing to protect the image of God. We need to protect it in ourselves so that we can help other people protect the image of God in them. So it's an internal thing. You know, Pat's been preaching about the core about strengthening your core. You know, that's really what it talks about, you know, is that image that God puts inside you has to come forth so that you can help other people. It takes us being aware of what we say and what we do. Um, And, you know, just like I said, my life is kind of a living example of what not to do at times. Um, But I think the determination of change, though, makes all the difference in the world. Because eventually, if you're determined to change, you're going to change. I mean, I know that I was talking with my sister and my brother-in-law. Um, and one thing they, they talked about was, you know, when I got saved, they saw a change in me. And, I, you know, I wasn't really aware of the change. And it wasn't that I told them that I was saved. But whatever it was, it changed. And, you know, when I reflect now, I know, you know. Definitely not as hard as I used to be about things, you know. And even though I'm really determined uh, a lot of the time, um, it's not an at-all-cost thing for me where it used to be. Um, So how can we serve him effectively, and how can we reflect his image effectively? And this is the word that God gave me. And it's the word lust. Now, lust is kind of a taboo word for a lot of people. You know, most people, when they think of lust, they go right to sex. Um, But in fact, lust isn't at all what that is. Um, You know, I I, I read this. It says, uh, it has nothing to, lust has nothing to do with the image of God, but it has everything to do with the image that we've created. And I think about lust, I think about this. We can allow lust to master us. And all you have to do is look at Adam and Eve to see how lust mastered them. How did lust master Adam and Eve? Gave them a desire to know more. Right? When the serpent said, eat this apple. I mean, think about where they're at. They're in the Garden of Eden. It's perfect. Perfect temperature. They could hunt and fish all they wanted. You know, right? Uh, 
it was 70. My mortar always was perfect. You know, I mean, it was never too runny, too thick. It was just perfect, you know. Um, it was always sunny, never rained. And when it did rain, the ducks were flying. You know, it was perfect. Their desire, their lust to know more drove them to where we're at now. It has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with not being content. And it led to their downfall. And, you know, so after I read, you know, I was reading on that, you know, it kind of had me reflect on on my childhood, you know. One thing that I I do still, and it really came to know, or came to light again about a week and a half ago, was... um, was my inability to lose humbly. <laughs> I hate losing. I hate it. I try not to get upset about losing. Um, and what I do is I, I lost to win. You know, when I was a kid, my dad will tell you, I mean, when I used to lose, I would just cry. Every inch of me wanted to win so bad. And I would put everything into it. And I'm still the same I don't cry at all. Instead, I just get mad. (laughs) Whatever I do, you know. But I can see it in my boy Avery. I've passed that along to him. When he loses, he gets so upset. He desires to win so bad that it's not healthy. Um, It's then I look at my boy Riley, and he's just the opposite. He can roll with the punches. So much, in fact, I don't know if he has any competitiveness in him. But I know he does because he's always trying to whoop on his brother. Right? So there's a competitiveness there, right? So, you know, for me, you know, whether it was work, you know, lusting for more money, more jobs, um, whether it was lusting for more hunting time, all these things drove me into an unhealthy place. And I have to be really careful that I don't pass that along to, to Avery. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was so happy that he wasn't there. We were having our ball game and we were playing uh, the other Cots team. And I just want everybody to play to the best of their efforts. It's not so much that you have to win. But, you know, when, you know, I play the very best that I can play, good or bad, and somebody else is just kind of halfway playing, really ticks me off, right? So much, in fact, that we lost two games, you know, and then Pat. Pastor Pat's walking off the field and goes, hey, good game, good game. I look over at him and go, yeah, it's a good game. You know, or for you guys, it's a great game. For us, it sucked. I just said it, Kristen. I told myself I wasn't going to say that. She says, don't say that word up there. But anyway, so I was really disappointed and upset. You know, and, you know, I, I mean, I knew it. And I was really happy because I had like three or four other people that saw it. And Pat actually called me on it. He said, hey, what's going on? You know, Chris called me on it. You know, Chris Taylor did. Um, yeah. So they were holding me accountable for that. They want to know if everything was okay. You know, and, you know, then I explained, you know, that I was just bent out of shape at a few different things. So I got over it, but then I thought, man, that's exactly how Avery is. It's exactly how he is. You know, so I have to, I have to sow into him life and not death. You know, I have to show him a better way. Um, if that means masking it and trying to get over something like that, then that's what it means. 
But I still have to be real. I can't hide it. I have to show them how to work through it. So I want you guys to turn to 1 Corinthians 6.12. Because God gives us like this big candy store. And he says, he says, all of this. But he gives you this big candy store. You know, it's all there. The world shows you all of it. Good and bad, you know. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The message says this. It says, Just because something is technically legal doesn't mean it's spiritually appropriate. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get away with, I'd be a slave to my own whims. Same scripture, just worded a little differently, but they mean the same thing. I love what it says. It says, I will be mastered by, I will not be mastered by anything. You know, the lust that you have, the desire to whatever it is, you know, maybe it's shopping. What I mean, it could be work. I mean, I know. I've worked 100 hours a week. I mean, it's just just not healthy. You know, these things, though, that we set ourselves up for, we cannot be enslaved by them. Because that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about being slaves to our own lust, to our own desires. He's talking about bondage. He's talking about breaking free of what holds us down, what keeps us from moving forward. He's telling us that we need to remember that God created us in his own image to glorify him. And I think this is really important. He's saying just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right? It's the candy store. The world shows it on every television show that you can look at. You you can walk through Walmart and see it. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And just ask Adam and Eve because they could and they did. And just think about the baggage that they carried, knowing what they had to what was after that. I mean, going from naked, unaware, to clothed and completely aware. In a book that I read, it said that uh, it's not what lust does to us. It's where it takes us. Because it takes us to ugly places. You know, your desire to have more can fuel you to do things that you never thought that you would. Um, You know, Pat would say it's feeding the monster. Right? Right? A lifestyle desire can take you down a path that you never thought you would go down. And it can take you right to hell. And then worse yet, you could stay there if you don't get out of it. Right? I, I, took, I wrote a couple notes down before I uh, came on here. Lust replaces joy. You know, when I take... Uh, I'm going to use hunting because that's what I do as an example. Um, when I hunt too much, I actually, the joy is taken out of it because I know Kristen's upset and the kids miss me. So when I go out and I hunt, it stinks to go home and have like, well, more than half 
like uh, 80% of your family not liking you, <laughs> you know, for that first two hours or whatever. You know, it takes away the joy. It takes away the peace. It takes away content. You know, can't be content with anything. Can't be happy with anything. It takes away hope. You know, in Christ Jesus, we have hope. It takes away that. But what does it add? It adds anger. Right? It adds dissatisfaction. Adds depression. Uneasiness. Offense. It adds uh, immoral acts or decisions. Makes it easier to do those. Misery, self-indulgence. And that's just to name a few. You notice that lust there is, I haven't really tied anything into sex. Because lust isn't about sex. It's about those things. The things that we desire, that, that we, we fuel wrongly. And just like the monster, lust demands to be fed. And it always wants more. And it always distorts. I mean, it can take something that's glorious. Just like the Word of God, when somebody desires to, say, preach or to teach. And then they take the Word of God and they twist it to their advantage. And they distort it. Their lust to be a teacher can do that. No, and it doesn't just have to be biblical. It could be anything. One thing's certain, though, that lust is constantly lying to us. You know, it's always telling us that it's okay. Um, it's telling us, though, that if you had more, you'd be satisfied. If you win, or if you got a bigger house, or if you get a shiny new car, you know, it'll fill the crave... But that's the lie of lust. The truth, though, is that it won't. And it never could. And for one reason, it can't. And it's because God created us in his image. One of my favorite uh, scriptures is that God gives us dominion over the, the birds of the sky, over the fish in the water, you know. There's a reason why, you know, for that. But he also gives us dominion over those acts of lust that we do. Just like the scripture says that we're not to be mastered by anything. Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. So we have to believe that we're able to conquer it. And then we have to move on from that. I wrote one thing down uh, here, and this is for all you control freaks. And you know, I put down maybe this doesn't quite apply to you. You know, that you're in control of all your lusts and all your cravings, right? But maybe then again, your desire to control is actually what fuels your lust. To be in control of everything. And then you're actually dying. Because God has to be in control of it. We've been talking about submission for the last three or four weeks. And really, giving in to God is exactly that. It's submitting to Him. Uh, not submitting to the desires that you have, but submitting to somebody that's bigger than you. Your marriage can't be healthy. Your friendship and relationships can't be healthy if you're not submitting to somebody that's bigger than you, to God Himself. 
So one thing that God does, though, is he always leads us back, and he always asks us to remember who he is. I think one of the coolest things about growing up with my folks is he, they always gave me a safe place to go. You know, they never expected me to be any different than who I was, that I was always going to be able to come back home, feel at home, have a safe place, and they always encouraged me there. And, you know, God does the same thing. He wants you to come back. He always want, he wants you to remember. He wants you to come back. And if he didn't, if he didn't love you that much, why would he send Jesus for you? You know, that's how he brings you back is through Christ. You know, last week you talked about the covenant. You know, that's why it's so important um, that we do the three things that he said to do in remembrance of him. You wash feet, baptize, and communion. No, it's a big deal. He didn't have to send the Holy Spirit to fill us and then to guide us. You know, that voice in your conscience that says, hey, uh, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing instead of the other one, you know. I, like Tom and Jerry, you remember the guy with the little devil? <laughs> the other one with a little halo? You know, pitchfork halo? You know, that's your Holy Spirit, really, <laughs> telling you what to do. The other one with the pitchfork. That's not a good one to listen to. So he leads us back, though, but he also he gives us time to reflect on God, too. And I'm going to close with a couple of scriptures, and I want you guys to turn to Ephesians 4, 18. To who we were and who we are. And I'm going to read it all the way through, um, through verse 24. And I'll start right now. Actually, I'm going to start at 17. It says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and have separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in, in them due to the hardening of their hearts. We have to be careful about that lust, that it doesn't harden us, that it doesn't cloud us, that it doesn't lead us to paths that we shouldn't be on. Because once it's hardened, it's hard to go back. I mean, it took me 33 years to find Christ as my Savior, even though I knew Him, sort of. So all that, all the lacquer had to come off, the layers had to come off, and it's still coming off. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the to uh, sensuality, so it, as to indulge in every kind of impurity, with a continual lust for more. You know, it says sensuality, but I mean, you could substitute a lot there. Sensuality for what, or lust for what? It's you know, it's just not about sex. It's about our life. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to throw it away, which is being corrupted by its own deceitful desires. You know, if we don't throw out our own self, we're going to be constantly reminded and drawn into our own deceitful self. You know, the old stuff has to come off 
to become that new being that Christ has for you. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he says to be made new in the attitude of your mind. To start with your mind and be made new. To be transformed into something new. I mean, every one of you guys know that there's something that that drives you. There's something that you can take and make it unhealthy. God puts all these people in our lives to help us, you know, to get back to remembering who God is and who he wants us to be. You know, when we talk about communion, you know, I don't know how many of you guys have taken communion yet. But it's a covenant. You know, it's a great place to... Pat talked about impurities, you know. Great place to purify yourself. I think if you have any of those desires... You know, for me, if you were a stonemason and I was a stonemason, I was going to run you out of business. I was going to take all your accounts because I wanted them all. And that's what I would do. And I did that for years. You know, I took something that was healthy and I took it to the next step. And it took me three years to back off of that. You know, and and to find a place where I could be content, where I could have the hope and the peace and the joy that God wanted for me. So maybe today's the start, and maybe communion will represent that to you. You know, Jesus gives us this opportunity. Um, I love the the, uh, last couple of verses that John was singing. You know, the cross will draw man to God. It'll draw man to Jesus. You know, that cover that covering, that covenant that is so important to all of us will be drawn to him. We'll all have that choice to make. And I wanna I wanna close with just reading um, in Luke. And this is where Jesus was, you know, the last uh, Passover meal that he shared with his his disciples, and it says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You know, he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer. He was going to suffer on a cross. But he was eager to share it. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, I was looking at my concordance and it talked about remember, you know. And I looked up the word and it said 166 times. God telling you to remember him. The apostles telling you to remember Christ. Jesus telling you to remember him. To bring you back. And it goes on, it says, In the same way after the supper he took the cup 
And he said that the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, that new covenant is what we desire, is what we look for. So maybe you guys are at a point where you guys need that new covenant. You know, where you, you need to be purified, where you need to find Christ. You know, you meet you right where you're at. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, what you're going to be. I love Jesus for that reason. He loves me for exactly who I am today. He'll love me what, for what I was tomorrow. And he loved me for what I was 10 years ago when I didn't know him. Doesn't matter if you're Hitler or if you're Mother Teresa. It's the same love. And you can see what lust did to Hitler. You know, sin is sin is sin is sin. Are there different degrees of it? I would advise you to get saved to accept Christ as your Savior. And when you die and you're facing judgment and you get the free pass that says you don't have to go to hell and all those sins that you had already committed, they're all covered up because you chose Christ as your Savior. Maybe you can ask a question then. Say, are there different degrees? But it's, it's just a sin, right? So we need to choose that. So if you haven't taken communion, you know, make that your covenant. Choose Christ. Choose the blood that covers you. The body, remember what that means. And remember that lust is just not about sex. It's just, it's just about desiring God more than those things that desire, that I should say that you desire. So we're going to pray real quick. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for um, just teaching me a, just a new way to approach um, just unhealthy lusts, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts, that the old selves, just like in the scripture said, would just go away, that the new self would be replaced and be new. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the people that are that are here, that are supposed to be here, that have heard your message. And I just continue to thank you that you, that you speak to my heart on things. Lord, I thank you for that you did die on a cross, that you were punished for us, that you bore all of our sin, and that you came back from the dead just to show that it couldn't keep you down. Father, help us just to remember that we are made in your image, that we represent you. And that's a big responsibility and we should take it seriously. In Jesus' name, amen.